McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to Hero Forecast episode 111. Embarrassing, pitiful, it was an awful display. Insert your adjective here. Pompey are out of the playoff spaces and our season is over. Join the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you Andy? Love the positivity of that, the, the last bit of that. Joining me on the podcast today. Uh, yeah, good thanks mate. Um yeah, I don't. I don't even know where to start with it. I'm going to say I'm well, thank you. Uh, like health-wise, and all is okay, and we can go to the pub on Monday and try and forget the last couple, well, bits of the last uh, football season. So yeah, all good. Thanks, mate. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It's going to be we're going to we're going to have fun this episode as well, talking about talking about Pompey and what went wrong, etc. But you can't gloss over it, can you? We had to start with a little bit of impact there. And uh, how are you, Freddie Weatherwhite? Uh, I'm still fuming, to be honest with you. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> there've been periods in the, in the few days where it, where, it, where it wasn't on my mind, and now obviously it is because we're. we're You're literally go. fuming, Fred. So you've actually yes. got smoke coming out of you. Yes, pretty much. My face has gone red. It's all it's all going to shit. Already. Didn't want to say anything, but <laughs> it's all going wrong already. No, um, yeah, it, it, I couldn't get it out of my head from like since Sunday. Tried to avoid Twitter. Uh, caved at one point. I wish I avoided Twitter. That that always makes everything worse. But yeah, um, you said it best at the beginning. Uh, pathetic, gutless, whatever word you want to use for it. It was pretty embarrassing, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't great, to be honest, mate. And last time we recorded this, so this episode last season, I remember at the end, and it was called It Happened Again. You actually lost your love and your faith in expected goals um freddie have you lost any of that anything else this time you know your love for expected goals analysis i haven't even looked at the expected goals for this game to be honest with you sorry listeners i'm sure that's what you all wanted to hear <laughs> from what we're on about i would say oh puts have had all the chances and we should have won the game and, and uh, no no i'm not i'm not saying that at all i don't think i've lost anything well maybe my faith in the mentality of the players but I'll, I'll say more on that later. <laughs> First of all, we're going to review the game against Accrington. Following on from that, we asked you, where did Pompey's promotion push go wrong? And then what would you do if you were the Cowleys? Following from that, we're going to touch on the rather unfortunate incident outside of, uh, the Astoria. And then we're going to start up what's going to be the podcast for the next few weeks coming. We're going to touch on recent transfer rumours, who we think we should target. I don't even know what we're going to go on yet, but that's the journey we're going on on this podcast for the next month or so. So let's get into it. Accrington Stanley. Freddie, 
How do you explain the way the players came out and turned up for this performance? It was pretty much exactly the same as most of the big games that Portsmouth played against any opposition whatsoever. They play well for the first 10 minutes. You think, oh, it's coming together, controlling the possession, a nice bit of bit passing, that's fine. I think we even had a chance in that first 10 minutes. I can't remember. I haven't watched the highlights back because I didn't want to. Um, and then after that, the, the, their heads came off. Completely. Just just complete head loss by pretty much most of the 11. Gone completely. And then there was that one defensive lapse, like in the first semi-final, semifinal first day against Oxford. There was that one defensive lapse where the Accrington, where the Accrington player, Phillips, had all the room in the world to put the ball right in the top corner, and then we offered nothing. Oh, actually, no, that's slightly harsh. We offered another 10 minutes when we when Kearney, Danny Cowley had to make a triple change because before that, we were still bad. The triple change came on, and then we did all right for 10 minutes, had one or two half chances, and that's it. You missed nothing else whatsoever. So in a nutshell, exactly the same as the majority of big game sports have played over the last four years. Andy, was the game cursed when we looked and Kenny Jackett was in the Sky studio? Um, just this muggy old face sitting there. Oh, why on earth did you have to remind me of that? I completely forgot about that as well. Oh, sorry. You- <laughs> <laughs> I You could have given me a list of, or you could have given me 20 guesses as to who Sky would have had as a pundit for that game, and I would not have listed Kenny Jacket among the 20. Um, I think muggy old face is a bit harsh, you. We're better than that. I, I Well, maybe we're not. <laughs> but yeah, it was... Not, Andy, not this week, we're not, mate. Okay. Not this week, yeah, right. Spirits are low, fair enough, yeah. I, I was surprised to see him in the studio, yeah. But what unfolded after that was... It's, it is difficult to put into words because... As fans of the club, we can't envisage what it would be like to not, you know, put be putting your body on the line and to not give 100% and to not just like bleed for the club. And it's very difficult to empathise with people you're watching who are representing you, essentially, as we're basically, you know, consumers, fans of the club, and they're not doing that. And... I find it very difficult because you there's only so many times you can make excuses and we're very moderate on here for the most part. And it's it gets very repetitive where we sit here and say the same things over and over again. And it, it gets to a sort of a tipping point, a finite point in that sand where you just can't do it anymore. And I'd love to sit here and say, well, you know, this there were some positives, this, that and the other, you know. This player has been fairly solid second half of the season, but it, it was genuinely pathetic. That first half was, I mean, I very rarely swear, that's, that first half was shit. It was awful. And I, uh, my blood pressure's on the way up. I'm, I'm not drinking because like, I know that it'll make me angry, but my blood pressure's going up because uh, you, you jump in, you go for it. But... It's all right, Andy. No, I feel you, bro. Yeah, no. It was pathetic, wasn't it? And let's be honest, I was excited. I sorted my whole weekend out for this. Maybe my hopes were too too high. You know, I was like, right, here we go. Accrington, we all knew it'd be a tough test. It's not an easy pushover game, as we said. And John Coleman fired his team up, didn't he? No one, look at Burton Albion, who rolled over, played a rubbish team against Oxford. 
I think uh, George Ellick was even saying on the Not The Top 20 podcast that he was surprised how rubbish the side was they put out. That didn't happen against us with Accrington. Andy? Yeah, they the, the two managers have got a bit of history. I think the, the roles were reversed. I saw a, an interview with him before the game. The roles were reversed in a lower league game previously where the Cowleys had stopped one of his teams going up, I think, or going into the playoffs on the final day of the season. So I imagine he was pretty motivated to sort of return the favour a little bit. Uh, but yeah, they're... You, you say there are no mugs, but Accrington's away form is what's cost them a playoff spot, essentially. Their playoff, uh, their away form has been awful this season. They said at some point on the commentary, uh, I think it was like the second worst um, or the second most goals conceded away from home or something this season. So to, to not score is is fairly criminal um, against that outfit. That was just Sky just trying to give us some hope. It was like the second most late, like last 10 or 15 minute goals conceded in the league. It was something like that. Accrington were. The issue with that is to score, you've got to get, <laughs> this sounds so reductionist, to, to score, you've got to get near the goal. It was like, <laughs> yeah, no, the, that didn't happen, did it? One, really? one of the advantages of Sky over iFollow is you get like little match stats and it was like, what, 35, 40 minutes in, it came up with the percentages spent in each third of the pitch. It was, um, it was 3%. It was 5% approaching half-time. Okay, just before that when I'd seen it, it was 3% of the game after like 30-ish minutes. That is absolutely inexcusable. There is no like mitigating factor. There is nothing anyone can say that will excuse that for me in a home game, in a must-win game where you need. we know we need to score because um, other teams like Oxford score a goal early. We know we need to score and win the game and there's just no impetus. There's no excuse for that, mate. It was just that the execution of seemingly everything most of the players wanted to do was bad. I could see what what some of the runs were in the first half, at least. The movement off the ball was there vaguely to a certain extent. I could see, oh, if that pass had an extra yard on it, then one of the wide players will get into a bit of space and then something might happen. But no, the passing was terrible. It, it just the execution from the majority of the players throughout the entire game was bad. And then I don't care if they got the frustrated about that and that's why their heads went. Your heads can't go in that game. You, you can't. You, you, have to, you, have, you have to deal with the pressure of wearing the shirt of Portsmouth Football Club and, and some of the players simply didn't do with that. But Fred, that, that, re- that requires a certain level of pride of wearing the shirt of the football club, what you said there. That, that has a sort of a, a requirement that you could certainly argue for some people hasn't been there for over the season as a whole at times yeah I'll follow on from that actually <clears throat> with a little analogy for those of you who don't know I was I was writing for the new sports for two weeks you haven't mentioned I'm trying to say something said. serious here <laughs> I wasn't saying that as an egotistical prick don't worry but no when I was writing there I had one day where just you have those days where everything goes wrong right Every everything completely went wrong my writing was rubbish blah 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 and I was a mess after that day at work and had to literally walk for about four miles to calm down. I was stressed. I was all over the place because I knew I was writing about the club that I'd supported since I was a kid for other ports of fans for a paper I was reading since I was a kid. I put that pressure on myself. That's how much I care about ports of football club. And to see that performance and some other things, the Alan McLaughlin black tape as well, and some other things. It just made me think that they didn't care about the club as much as I did. 
and and that is a lot and i think a lot of people uh resonate with that opinion as well i do think i mean on a similar note yeah there's if we take hugh for example and i don't want to blow smoke up his ass because he's not that great but hugh will frequently with this podcast he's up till 4 four thirty in the morning editing it together because we chat such a ridiculous amount of crap between the recordable stuff that it needs a huge amount of cutting and hugh does that because he loves the club we make like no financial gain out of doing this podcast and yet you know hugh's staying up till three four in the morning editing it we're giving up our time which i'm more than happy to do because i love the club and so do well so do all three of us but it's, it's so difficult to put your feet in the shoes of people who I, I know players circulate around clubs and you know you you can't just have fans of your own club playing but there's a a bar of giving a damn that I expect everyone to be above and there have been times when it just looks like for whatever reason whether it's issues between the fans and the players whether it's issues between the previous manager and some of the players whatever it is there have been times where that has certainly not been the case this season as far as I'm concerned and for me Sunday was one of those I think the players wanted to be in a different bar entirely but we'll we'll leave that there if you're listening to this podcast now you're probably a massive Porter fan too otherwise what the hell are you doing listening to us three rabbit on so I'm guessing everyone listening feels has similar emotions really on the players didn't turn up they didn't turn up. And Danny Cowley starts making changes. It, you know, it works a bit. You sort of thought that whatever he did in that situation tactically wasn't going to make a difference because the players <clears throat> weren't playing properly. Freddie, I just want to quickly go back on the pitch here because we talked about the percentage that we had in Accrington's third being pretty low then, 3-5%. It seemed quite obvious that Accrington were pressing us from the front with two strikers who worked very hard. The, the midfield stepped up on us you know, in the middle as well. Pompey just had to play through that, didn't they? The simple passing, getting the ball forward and hitting them really when they when they pressed so high. Why well, weren't Ports able to do that? Because technically they weren't good enough on the day. You said it there, the only way to deal with a high press is, well, you, there are two ways. Either get lucky and catch them for a direct ball, which Ports shouldn't do, or do it properly and play through them. And the passing and the close uh, and the close control from some of the players simply wasn't good enough. And the, and the key for, the key thing for me, for listeners are probably sick of me saying this, the movement off the ball. How many times have we, have we mentioned where the movement off the ball was key uh, in various games, and that was the reason why we lost? Because yeah, some of the players had to go long again, it, it, regardless of the manager, simply because there was no option for them, so they just went it long. They just hunt, hunt it long. It was especially especially at the back four. Accrington destroyed Pompey's midfield in that game with Tom Lea and Ben Close, who arguably very, very balanced pair of centre midfielders who could do a bit of everything. But it wasn't there. They, they, they looked uncomfortable from the press. They couldn't pass it short round them. And then when they did, there were no options anyway. All the passes were wayward. It was... It was tactically right, but it was just executed in the worst possible way you could think of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we did have a couple of chances, didn't we? Let's go on to that one. A friend of the podcast, Charlie Daniels, gets set through one one on one, <laughs> takes a shot. Unfortunately, it's saved. Could be a penalty, you know, potentially. I don't know if that's a bit of a homer call, but I think he got the shot away already. I think the play was dead. So we're not going to call that a pen. 
let's be honest though, we all knew during this game that nothing was it wasn't gonna it wasn't to be, was it? Byers came on. I thought he looked a little bit smart actually with a few touches he had at the start, but that was quickly snuffed out by the lack of movement around him at the time. What's the point having a playmaker in the middle of the field if you've got no one to pass the ball to? Which is as Freddie alluded to, with this talking about movement. There's no point. And you you can't be a team of individuals and get consistent results. And I feel recently when Pompey haven't been playing well, it's because they've been playing as a team of individuals, the same under jacket. And Cowley's come in now, and you can see when it when they when they when they buy into the system properly, when they play it, when they pass, and they've got the ability to do that. They just don't didn't look committed to it. It did not look committed to it. And to be honest, I've calmed down quite a lot in the last few days, and I still sound pretty annoyed about it. Andy, do you have anything to say about the game itself before we sort of move on to everyone else's views? I think it's probably quite good to move it on from our point of view now and just get to the listeners. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's there's very little to be said that hasn't already been said. I think I I would look at that game and look at the lineup that played and look at the subs bench. And I do think the the one thing that should be said is they tried everything. We tried different, we tried four at the back, three at the back, tried like just different everything. They, they tried everything at some point in the game and nothing clicked. And I, I just think your team of individuals comment is essentially nail on head. And yeah, similarly to you, I've calmed down a lot. I think Monday was peak um, and I'm sort of on a downward trend of anger, but it's, it's, it's not even, for me, it's not even the fact that we've missed out on the playoffs because like football, purely football, this for me hurts la- less than last year. Because last year, I thought if we beat in Oxford, decent chance of winning the final against a Wickham team who had, you know, come eighth in the league before PPG, uh, PPG came in. This year, I genuinely don't want to know what would have happened if we'd played Blackpool in, or you know, or even potentially Sunderland on a good day. But most would have got absolutely battered. Yeah. So I, on, on a footballing level, it may have actually saved us a real pull your pants down day in a you know in a week or to, a week or so's time, but. It's everything else surrounding it that is the reason why I'm angry and that the buck stops with the players. There's nowhere else. It is on the players and that's all. It is on the players, Andy. And just before we get to the listeners' questions, obviously, Danny Cowley and Nicky Cowley there signed a long-term extension is what the clubs called it as. They didn't announce the years that were posted, but Cowley signed up, so they'll be here for next season. If you've been living under some sort of massive stone and you don't know that, I mean, it's Wednesday evening. You're going to be listening to this on a Thursday. Then you're welcome for the news. But yeah, Danny and Nikki Cowley re-up to be the new ports of managers or head coach and uh, assistant coach, whatever they call them nowadays. Here for a while, here for the rebuild, which is what we need. We're going to get to your comments now, but tear it up, burn it down, retain the few players who care. Let's start something here. Let's start a new squad and let's get some new culture, a new voice and a new style of play and players who can actually play for the shirt. Right, let's get to it. We asked you guys, where did Pompey's promotion push go wrong? What would you do if you were the Cowleys? And again, thank you everyone for tweeting in, messaging in on Facebook, etc. There are lots of comments to get through. So if we don't get to them, I'm sorry, but we'll try and get to as many as possible. So let's go for it. Kieran H. is in. He says... Where did it go wrong? Sacking Jacket too late. What should the Cowleys do? Bring in a lot of their players and sell dead footballers at this club. Um, I guess you mean dead weight 
the dead weight footballers, not actual dead footballers. But let's start from the beginning and go, uh, where did it go wrong? Sacking Jacket too late. Yeah, completely agree. You know, I think all of us can say that. We've been advocates, vocal about that. I, I actually was vocal at the end of last season about it after the playoffs, you know, discussed it on that minute of fame on uh, ITV Meridian. So, it's, you know, I wanted Jacket gone then as well. We've been quite public about it. And yeah, yeah, definitely sacked him too late. You can't really judge the Cowleys on it without a transfer window is the problem, isn't it? If you give a manager a chance to change the team and back them, that's when you can see if the results are right. Jacket was never right. Went on for too bloody long. Yeah, completely agree. Freddie, bringing in a lot of their players and selling the footballers here, we think that's going to happen, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's going to, isn't it? Um, you have to give any manager um, that trust to bring in their own players and put their stamp on this on this side. And we've already seen another League One club, Sunderland, sack their mediocre manager. And they did it a lot quickly. And look at where they are now. They're a much better team than they were. Yeah, they're in the bloody playoffs, aren't they? That's where that's, that's where Sunderland are. It's not gloss over it. They made decisive action, bought a new manager in, and look, they're doing well. Lee Johnson, obviously linked here. You know, he's a good manager. Done well at Sunderland. Congratulations to them. Take my hat off, etc. Um, Cowley's Cow's messages in. He says Cowley's has spoken about getting the ball, uh, getting the ball from back to front quick. All signings got to be capable of carrying the ball quick on the break and good stamina, especially in our wide men. Something our fullbacks lack. Comfortable with the ball and able to carry it is essential for all players. Andy, do you think that well, we the Cowleys are gonna? I mean, sorry, it's a good comment first of all from Cowleys Cows. I think it's fair to say that we all believe that you have to have the players to fit the system that you want to play. I think that's standard knowledge, and most people know that listening to it now. Do you think that's the kind of players that Danny Cowley's going to let's bring in, Andy? Yeah, I think so. I mean, to be to be brutally honest, I saw someone else asking like where where the priority should be in terms of cutting up the squad a bit. And for me, the fullbacks are probably one of the last places I'd be looking to make changes. I think we've got bigger issues. Uh, I agree that yeah, ball carrying and getting forward is really important. But I mean, there have been a number of games this season where we've looked at heat map, and Lee Brown has been further down the left on average than you know some of the more forward players and Johnson's got forward pretty well as well and I think has been one of the better players that we've had over the course of the season so I'm not sure I completely agree that the full backs are are where we should be particularly focusing our ire but if I've used that word in the right context I think I have yeah Fred's nodding good excellent Fred the the dictionary himself has spoken um yeah I don't think that's where we should really be focusing it like I think there are other positions that maybe are suiting the system less well than our fullbacks, personally. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to get someone in at left back to give someone a bit more mobile, in my opinion. But I do agree, it's maybe not the priority position, Andy. Nicola Upfield messages in, and she says, "If you're going to spank a lot of money on one player, which position would you be flashing the cash at?" Do you think that's what Andy was alluding to, Freddie? I'll give the question to you then. Where are we splashing the cash, mate? Dropping me into it completely. Um... <sighs> Tough one. Sweeper. I'm gonna I'm gonna cop out slightly because I can't decide from two spots. Centre mid or centre half. Centre half, you need a ball playing centre half who is able to bring the ball out from the back, but also defensively reliable in a pinch. And we need 
more like a number eight centre midfielder who gets right in, in your face, uh, doesn't get bullied off the ball while also having uh, a great range of passing to be able to take, take the ball out of his feet from close control and pick out the wingers. Have you seen the response to Nicola's comment there, Freddie, on, on Twitter? I haven't, no. It's a GIF and it's already started. People are already posting Ben Thompson GIFs at Pompey's plate with Pitty. Oh, no, wise. it's happening again. <laughs> it's just going to be oh, a third year of touching Ben Thompson transfers. <laughs> He's not dropping down to League One, is he? No, I think he played... Well, let's, let's not get into that now. Let's not get into Ben Thompson. Let's move on. Um, Heather Meshton, she says... I still think the team doesn't gel as a group. Photo stories, talking about how good the team spirit was, <clears throat> felt a bit false. And when I watch the team play, I just don't feel the connection between the players like I did in the 16-17 season prior. As others have said, the Cowley should look to rebuild the team. And as Freddie has said, shout out me, we need people that could handle the pressure of wearing the shirt. Andy, do you think there's actually a pressure that comes to wearing a Portsmouth shirt compared to, say, well, I don't want to be to be harsh, but maybe one of the smaller teams in League One. Yeah, absolutely. There is a there is a pressure to it, but in in the same way that there is pressure wearing the shirt of any team, you know, from the top half of League One upwards, which is where these people want to aspire to be or where they aspire to be. There's pressure and fan bases for any of these bigger clubs, and you just feel like for for Portsmouth, maybe it's a pressure that's meant the identity has been sucked out of the team a little bit. I mean, if if you ask me what the club's identity is on the pitch based on the last three years, I wouldn't really know overall. We're not a free scoring team and we're not rock solid at the back. Um, I was looking at the table just before the game and sort of comparing us to the top five. Um, we scored fewer goals this season than four of the top five, but we conceded more goals than all of the top five. So it's not as if we're you know dominating going forward and it's not as if we're stone at the back when you know not letting anything through so there's no real yeah there's no defining feature that makes us a top team and I do think that is because of maybe players being worried about expressing themselves on the pitch I don't know if that's just digging too much into it and potentially the players either aren't good enough you know as footballers or you know whether or not there's sort of a, a lack of I don't use the passion because it's a bit of a cliche, but there's a bit of a lack of real connection with the club and the fans from the players, whatever it is. But I mean, yeah, it, it'll play a part. But if you play four, I'm looking at teams that finished in the top half, Ipswich, Charlton, Sunderland, Blackpool, Peterborough Hull, and then any team in the championship upwards, there's pressure because they will have big fan bases. Simple as that. It's not an excuse. Peterborough don't have a big fan base. They've got a good team. Let's, let's, not, yeah, let's, but, not, try and, let's not try and credit them that way. Would you rather have a small fan base and be in the championship right now? <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, yeah, probably. Well, they got promoted <laughs> and we didn't, so yeah. <laughs> it's a hard question, mate, because I don't have to decide between the two. It's, it's both or, or nothing, unfortunately, being a Portsmouth fan. Mr. Barlow messages in. He says, after the Sunderland playoff games, dot, 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 Assess the squad based on their games they were in charge for. I think I've been crying out for an actual number 10 since Gary Roberts. We also need some pace in our team alongside an actual target man. I'm excited to see who comes in. Freddie, when you talked about a centre mid being the most important factor, potentially alongside a centre back or two, are we talking about an attacking centre mid player? Are we talking about someone who can really help dictate the tempo of the game in that sense in the middle? Are we talking about a uh, 
you said a number eight, but are we talking about a number 10? We, we spoke about Scott Fraser last week. Or are we talking more of a Tom Lowry, Ollie Rathbone sort of centre midfielder? I think the problem is we're, a number 10 playmaker relies so much on movement off the ball, like we said. You said it earlier, Hugh. George Byers had a n- nice number of touches and he could, when he wants to, pick out a decent pass. But if there's no movement around him, then it, it, it's a bit of a luxury, isn't it? Uh, if you have a solid side, uh, an excellent playmaker, playmaker number 10 is the final piece, isn't it? It's the final piece that links everything together. But I do think, in general, I, I would prefer, obviously I would like both because I'm greedy, but I would prefer the all-around centre midfielder who's a bit deeper, who's excellent at both getting stuck in and having the range of passing in. I think you need both. Go knocking on Cruz's door. Let's get Tom Lowry. I'm starting it up now. I'm starting it up. Andy Richmore? On, for, on the rare occasion, I do actually completely agree with Fred saying centre mid and centre back. Those are the two positions I had in my um, in my head for that that other Twitter comment earlier on. So uh, yeah, it's uh, every every broken clock's right twice a day, right, Fred? We're agreeing on something. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you always need a spine of a team, and uh, well, they didn't have any spine on Sunday, so we definitely need one. It starts at the back. This problem It's a passing problem. It's a movement problem. I do agree. But if you can't pass the ball out from the back and you, you don't get into the right positions at centre-back, you're not moving, you're not confident on the ball to bring it. Players just guess you're going to pass the ball one way or the other way. Whereas if you're actually a player who can maybe skip past someone, maybe look for a different type of ball from the back, I think that really will help the whole team's movement get going. When you've got this sort of stop start at the back, this sort of clunky shuffling of the ball around all the time at the back, it sort of stops the the whole team, in my opinion, going forward and, and moving. So maybe the introduction of a, a passing centre-back is actually who's also defensively responsible, not easy to find, um, is the first piece of the puzzle I think we should be going for. Ben messages in, he says, where did it go wrong? Catlin not having a spine and sacking not jack, sacking Jacket after last year's playoffs. Cowleys need to bring in their own players and sell anyone who doesn't want to be here and isn't passionate about the club. Well, from that comment, I think that leads into a hot take that I have. Oh, I think hang on, popcorn. About... Getting the popcorn. Oh, yeah, yes, get, get, the the popcorn. get the popcorn. Get the popcorn ready. He was getting something ready for this monumental. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's literally got the water as well. I, ge- I genuinely, I'm not bothered which players leave in the summer. I'm not, and that goes for pretty much all the first team. To be honest, if Dan, if the Cowboys think they're good enough, then fine. They have to prove it, and I'll support them from there. But there, but there are no sacred cows for me anymore. There, there, there aren't no, no sacred cows. No <laughs> sacred cows. It, it, it's a, it's an analogy where is it like for you, the place you, 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 players who you don't want to move? Essentially, they have to be there. <laughs> Untouchable <laughs> players, basically. Friend. So Untouchable players. Uh, I used an analogy. Okay, behave. So so your hot that, take the, is the cow no analogy. Cows. For our manager, the yes. Cowleys, you, you, cho- you chose the one animal for your analogy. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, Sorry, taken the, that, that's taken the heat away from that take, hasn't it, really? But honestly, the managers can choose whoever they like, in my opinion, to stay. And I don't really have an, as much of an affinity with those players as I did, mainly from that game. Andy, I'd like you to name your untouchable players, please. Who you do not 
want to sell at any cost. So you're on my list of well, sacred cows. <laughs> yes, please, mate. Uh, well, that's a sentence I've never said before. Um, for me, Craig McGillivray, 100%. I, well, sounds are that, you know, he, we could be seeing him for another, well, a new contract, hopefully. Uh, for me, that's that's a big, that would be, that'd be as, as good as signing a, a new successful player for me. Other than that, I'd like to see Ben Close stick around 100% because I do think on our day and he, he'll suit the way the Cowleys want to play, that sort of quick, attractive football. And he's he needs to be playing alongside the appropriate player um, in centre mid. Everyone who's listening to this knows that there are certain games where it seems like he disappears. If the style of game doesn't suit him and he's left isolated, then there are issues. But I do think we need to keep him overall because he's... He's one of those players that can do something special and his distribution in general is excellent. Um, so yeah, Ben Close. Other than that struggling, I'd like to see Lee Brown stick around. Uh, I, I do think he is a top-level League One left-back, which is what we need to be looking at. And and as I, as I already mentioned, I think centre-back, centre-mid is where we need to strengthen. So that would be my sort of... I mean, those players are my sacred cows. Uh, other than that, no, I'm... I've got no pragmatic sort of attachment to a lot of the players because of performances. And I don't feel like I have any emotive attachment to the majority of the players for myriad reasons over this season, the last two, three seasons. I don't feel any sort of like, I don't actively like that many of the players and how they've come across in the media and outside of the media over the last couple of years. Uh, and as a result of that, I don't have that attachment to them that, that potentially we would have with club icons from previous seasons who maybe weren't even as good a footballers as some of these players are. But you'd still rather see them around because they have a more positive atmosphere around them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly apathetic to to a lot of the team. I think you alluded to something interesting there, Andy, that <clears throat> the, players, the players seem to... Fans don't seem to have the affinity for these players as they did for the 2016-17 League 2 winning side or some of the players recently, Christian Burgess or Gareth Evans, for example, who, who people would argue are not as good as some of the other players who are in this side, but but they, they were ports of players. They were proper Pompey players, as some people would say. And I think there needs to be, there needs to be a look at that because I think the culture of ports of needs changing. The, the the culture of the side needs changing, not just from not uh, not performing in big games. It, it it goes far beyond that, I think. Yeah, I think just to yeah, I'll jump in there. Sorry, Hugh. Yeah, uh, I think Fred is is actually. Oh God, I'm agreeing with you twice in an episode. I'm actually feeling a little bit. Hey. Sick. Yeah, um, and I've actually forgot what it was going to be. Yeah, I think that it definitely goes way beyond because someone's touched on already how, you know, they say the same bog standard things in the media. And every interview is essentially media training that, you know, players in all sports get when you get to a certain level. It's basically media training and they will say the same in every interview. And words don't actually count for anything anymore. And you, if you're not believing what you actually are seeing in interviews from a majority of the playing group then you know you're obviously not feeling that attached to them if you if you literally don't believe what they're saying and you're thinking they're just coming out with a party line then it shows that you've not got much of a personal affinity with them yeah and you got to say just looking at 
the players we've got at the moment and who actually came out and spoke about it in the media. It was interesting that Harvey White was one of the people that came out on Instagram, a picture of him actually genuinely looking upset, walking off the pitch, who said, absolutely gutted with today's outcome. However, I want to thank everyone at Portsmouth, the players, the staff, for making this experience one to remember and learn to fight for. I wish everyone at Pompey all the best for the future play at Pompey. It's nice to hear, isn't it? Nice one, Harvey White. At least you, you can see there's some emotion there. There's some commitment. Whether or not, you know, how burnt up he is about it inside, that's what you need to be doing as a player. Um, and we'll come on to other players' conducts. But Freddie, would you like to see Harvey White back for us on loan for another season? Let me think about it. <clears throat> I think so. I think he's pr- I think he's proven enough. He's definitely... I, 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 this might be a personal thing, but I'm always worried when Ports have bring in uh, academy youngsters from Premier League sides because I do. I, I, in general, I think they struggle in men's football. I don't think Harvey White has looked out of place though. Definitely the sort of te- technical centre midfielder that Danny Cowley likes. So if they bring him back, then I wouldn't begrudge him. I heard John T repping him on uh, on Hampshire Live as well, saying that he was you know decent, it'd be a decent shout. Sorry, Andy, jump. Oh, good. No, I was just going to say, that's why you have to stay up till three in the morning editing all of these, because every time we ask Freddie a question, he says, let me think about that for 10 minutes, and then you've got to crop all that time out. <laughs> I think Harvey White is would be a useful addition next season because he is very diverse in terms of where you can utilise him. So we talked about playing him on the left-hand side. He's also more than capable in a more central position. He's He's a sort of diverse player that can fit a number of systems. And I think that in a young player, to be able to do that effectively is fairly rare. And I've been pretty impressed with him in the opportunities he's had in the team. George Byers came out and put a a similar post out today. Uh, Looks like he's obviously leaving the club um, where, yeah, I I guess it's easy to do that when you're leaving the club and you've not got to come back potentially. But they are two young players who have genuinely impressed me. they've, They've performed above expectation overall for me. Freddie's making a squinty face. But overall, I think those two have played above expectation for people of their age. And a number of other players in the squad have played below expectation. And for me, that means that, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely a, a fan of White and Byers. And I, I'd happily see one, if not both of them, come back in a nicer, more cohesive environment. Yeah, and I think... Um... We'll be talking to, we'll have a little chat with our, our pal Lennon, who's been on the podcast, who covers the Spurs Academy. We're trying to work out if that's actually going to be a realistic um, opportunity or not, whether he's going to go back and now and uh, potentially go on a, go out to a different loan. I'm not sure, but we'll see what we can find out. Um, going back to the messages, Finley messages in, he says, I think Jacket was sacked too late. A few games earlier and the extra win would have given us the playoffs. That said, players haven't been consistently good enough. Cowley says they're looking to bring in eight new players. Hopefully two centre-backs, a left-back, a centre-defensive midfielder, a centre-attacking midfielder, a left-winger, a right-winger, and a striker. Let's hope McGivery stays. They've got a goalkeeper ticked off that list, so it's not on there, Finley. That said, it's pretty much a brand-new starting eleven. For the starting lineup players, I expect we'll continue to see McGivery, Raggett, Johnson, Close, Marquis, Brown will be on the bench. What are you feeling, boys? I think the the first part of that about the jacket timing, it was very much a case of yeah, closing the door, closing the stable door after the horse had bolted. Very much so, it was too too late. And I think that's how you do an analogy, by the way, Freddie. No, it's key. Uh, it's the wrong animal. Clearly, wow. I should, after the cow has bolted. Wow. 
Alright, fine. I'll, I'll keep my analogies to a minimum, shall I? I mean, save them for the writing, Fred. They're, they're more impactful on paper. Um, no, I think that um, this is really catty this week, isn't it? You can tell that we're a bit run down by the football. We're supposed to be pissed off at the players, not at each other. <laughs> I know. No comment. <laughs> Collateral damage, Fred. Cowell I didn't died. actually respond to the comment there, did I, at all? No. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with a lot of it. I think I, I'd absolutely want to keep Lee Brown around um, at absolute worst as a sort of a first replacement um, to, to, for a starting left-back. But I think I'd agree with the vast majority of that. I think, yeah, Marquis is likely to stick around. Raggett is likely to stick around. McGillivray is hopefully going to stick around. And other than that, it'll be, really, it'll be interesting to see what the turnover is. I'm, I'm genuinely quite curious as to how this summer is going to go because it's it's the first time we're going to see wholesale changes, you know, since well Jacket took over really, and then put his stamp on the team. And now the Cowleys have got the opportunity to do the same. So you know, whatever happens, at least it's going to be interesting. David, what's seen it? Breaking news: Pompey have re-upped the contract of one Charlie Daniels from a one-year contract extension. Um, he'll be 38, I believe, for the next year that's coming in. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a player coaching role or whether it's just going to be a playing position. Um, yeah, Charlie Daniels here for next season. Very well. Are you being serious? Yep. <sighs> no. Okay, well, Fred's no. spoken, so the contract's off. <laughs> uh, everything's done. <laughs> I, I mean, he'll be, he'll uh, be disappointed, but I'm sure he'll understand, Fred. No, I'm fucking I, with you. I, I, I'm fucking I, I with understand. You. Don't worry. I'm fucking with you, Fred. Let's move on. Blue Army meshes in. RIP the team. <laughs> it's a bit... Rip the team to pieces and build for next season. Simple. Someone appoint him director of football, Blue Army 91. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Burn it all down. I feel you, bro. I've got you on that. <laughs> James Taylor meshes in. He says, same every season. Poor signings in January. We need a forward. To... <laughs> we... So we need a forward, top centre-back and a decent left-back. We ended up signing two centre midfielders that couldn't get into the side. Jacket should have been sacked after not getting promoted with Lowe, Curtis, Clark and Thompson. Before I move on, do we all feel that, that was the thing? That was the moment. That team should have gone up, shouldn't it? It should have gone up. And now we've been left with a team which is distinctly less talented than that team. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. That was the moment that we needed to grasp. And I think on paper, the team is less, it's less of a good footballing team now. I also think that there's less cohesion and sort of, a, as we've already touched on, less of a connection within the group. That's how it comes across anyway. And yes, absolutely. We can say with quite a lot of certainty now that Jacket was sacked too late. But I mean, the the players, I, I'm not convinced they're good enough. I think, yeah, we were, we were top around Christmas, but over the course of a season or the second half of the season, we, we regressed to the mean a little bit and finished where that, you know, where we should have finished based on performance. There's no complaints that it was an un- unlucky or an unfair season. They weren't good enough. So yeah, I, I do think it comes back to that point. I completely concur with some of the sentiment where they got, where they're ripping it out because well, by league position, Ports haven't improved in their first season when it, the aim was consolidation, they finished eighth. And we finished eighth again four years later with style players like Matt Clark and Joao leaving. There's not a lot of foundation of this side. And like I said earlier, if the Kellys decided to keep some players, I wouldn't mind. McGivery is probably the only one I would really, really want to be re-signed. 
And that's about it, to be honest. Harsh words from Freddie. I like that. Long term, James continues, I like the Eisners and think they'll give us stability. But they had a five-year plan to get to the championship, of which there's one year left. We finished eighth again, which shows we haven't progressed at all, as Freddie was just touching on there. And under their ownership, and the academy hasn't approved one bit. No, it hasn't, has it? I mean, we released the whole year of basically of all academy graduates, barring Haji Minoga, who has already promoted to the senior squad effectively. Yet the academy needs to be sorted out. I mean, that's that's a that is a a rant for another episode. Um, Harrison Smith mentions in. He says, convinced there is a rift in the changing rooms. Top at Christmas, something bottomed out. Jackie couldn't fix it or recognize it. Sacked him too late. Legos and players, bring in a captain with personality like Doyle had. Lead from the front. Do we need to bring someone in with personality to be the leader in the dressing room? I mean, Tom Naylor, is he the leader of the dressing room? Does he inspire? I mean, he's he he seems to me like a captain who leads by example, you know, he always puts himself about. He's hard on the tackle, he doesn't whimp around, he's you think he leads by example on the pitch, but do we need someone more vocal than that? Somebody who really gets players rised up. That's what Lee Brown does, isn't it? He's vocal on the pitch, loud. No, he, he, he just buys the, the drinks, mate, on a night out. See, I, I, I mean, we're going to come on to this. <laughs> I thought, I mean, if we stick on Tom Naylor, I thought Tom Naylor looked a little bit uncomfortable in that video. I, I, anyway, that's that's a whole other topic. Um, I do think Tom Naylor is, yeah, good leadership material, and I genuinely think this will be hurting him more than a lot of other players in the squad. And there are yeah, every game he has been one of the players that does put his body on the line a hundred percent of the time, and will just put himself through a lot for the team. So I. I'm loath to criticize to criticize him too much because I, I do think he is a good figurehead within the team. Having said that, it's now been you know it's a it's a time of what is essentially failure under his captaincy. So I, I don't see any need to change sort of the the structure of leaders on the pitch personally. And I, I don't know what other options there would be there to be honest with you. But I, again, That's we're not new, Andy. Get out there, sign someone else who knows how what, to make him club captain immediately. Yeah, why not? He's the right player. That's happened loads, isn't it? It's happened loads when someone signs a, a player who's, you know, the flagship player, they chuck in the armband. It's, it's it's all or nothing, right? That's, I mean, I know we've had potentially we want high risk at this point, but that is high risk coming, yeah, high risk, high reward, I guess. But for, for me, I think he's, you know, having a captain playing in the middle of the pitch who, you know, his performances are rarely like at the opposite ends of the spectrum. They're normally fairly consistent. Like a standard deviation in terms of like rating out of 10, I wouldn't imagine it'd be that high this season. He maybe doesn't have that many 10s, but he doesn't really have any twos either. Um, from, from the, I mean, I, that could be totally wrong. That's my perception watching the games. Please no one go and actually work out that because I might be wrong. But I, I think that's the sort of player you want leading from the middle. And yeah, I, I quite like having him in a leadership position, to be honest with you. That's the sort of lieutenant I want leading next to me when I'm a captain. You want people to be leading by example. You want people to be model professionals. You want them to put everything in. You need someone with a bit more, bit more charisma, maybe, to lead the boys. Who knows? But there's loads of different ways of doing it. If you, if let's look at different sports. You look at, let's say, I mean, you're going to fall asleep here. Cricket. You look at different styles of captaincy. You've got India, Virat Kohli, like passionate, loud on the pitch fist. You have no idea who that is. Do you like, no, you're shaking your head. Cool. Um, like shaking his fist, like shouting around in the batsman's face, loud, blah, blah, blah. Really good captain. England, Owen Morgan. He's Irish, but still plays, plays for England. Complete opposite. 
like emotionless almost on the pitch, very calm, collected, keeps everything internal. There isn't a right or wrong, I don't think. I mean, is there, is there anyone at the club, Hugh, that that's there currently that you would suggest would be a better club captain than Naylor? Or are you purely thinking of bringing someone in in this hypoth- um, hypothetical? Ronan Curtis, let's tear it up. Let's have it. <laughs> no, you lose 3-0 when you've had uh, four red cards don't you is it four or five red cards I've had that on FIFA a few times um, do I think it's in the current squad not really I genuinely don't but as Finley was talking about a second ago if if, it, if that's right I didn't I haven't seen that but the Cowley said they're looking to bring in eight new players you bring in eight new players there's no reason why one of them can't be a future captain we don't have to appoint someone who's already here you know, if you're having a big squad turnover, it might be the fact that they bring someone in who they're actually very familiar with and think will will lead the team out really well in a new way, a, a new and a new dawn, a new era. You know, a new a new Pompey underneath the Cowleys. We don't have to look, look who we got left over from the players who get shipped out and decide who to appoint as captain. We can bring someone in new, appoint them as captain, and build a squad around a whole new team. It's, it, right. it, it deals with the culture change as well. If you have a new captain, I think personally. Or we could keep Tom Naylor and then sack him halfway through the season and appoint someone else captain and make him go and train with the non-existent under-23s team we don't have. I mean, culture changes work really well for Labour, don't they? So um, they seem to happen every three years or so. So yeah, culture change maybe is the way forward. But I, I think it's harsh to be discussing potential other captains. I Again, if we're looking at the order of priorities, I'm happy with what we've got in that sense. And I know people will disagree. I don't see a need to change that. I think there are some personalities in the squad who are extremely difficult to captain over, um, to, to sort of put it politely. Don't be wrong. I like, I like Tom there. I think he's a great player, but it doesn't mean I don't think we should bring in somebody else to, to shake it up. Um, Matt Corrick messaged in. You're right, Matty. He says, can you please finish off the season better than the flops who turn up on Sunday? Well, we're trying to, but news to you boys, uh, we're going to carry on doing some more episodes because we've got too much to break down, including transfer stuff coming in, etc. Um, Paul Argyle messages in, he says, you can't believe two weeks previously to you that we played up at Aki and had a 3-3 game. It was amazing. Then came down here, didn't score, didn't look like scoring, an embarrassing watch, completely underwhelming in capitals and like an angry emoji. Well, yeah, I agree with you, Paul. Moving on, Jonah says, too many players believe in their own hype. Curtis on the left can't even use his left foot. He had a very poor season. Our centre-half pairings were poor all season. The left-back situation, the loans in January, our captain went missing. Uh, Jonah, these are all points I can pretty much relate to. The loans in January, I think, was just, they didn't fit it. They didn't, Jacket didn't integrate them properly into the team, let's be honest. They didn't suit the actual style of football you wanted to play. Kenny seems to be great at going out and signing players that theoretically would work in somebody else's system. When you put them into your very defensive, sort of negative style football system, it doesn't work. So I think that's fair enough. Uh, Freddie, anything to add on that? No, not particularly. Um, I agree with pretty much all of it again, to be fair. Luke Clark messages in. He says, Kenny's poor management slash the rebuild, as well as the player's fitness, ignorance... (laughs) And mentality are major factors. Let's let's just quickly before we talk about anything else, let's go into this incident that's happened because it's it's a little bit we haven't touched on it yet. And then I think we can help help decode some more messages that people are sending in. So obviously it was pandemonium on Pompey Twitter. It literally blew up. 
Porto's Twitter officially exploded. Just when Pompey fans are upset, team whimpered out, out, out of the uh, playoff hunt. How can you make it any worse? Well, look, I don't actually think the players shouldn't go for a drink after after the end of the season. I think I do that with all my with teams, etc. Don't post it on Instagram looking all jolly, have taking shots, being like, Way! that's the mistake, I suppose. I, I think that's a that's the first thing I'd say. I don't think there's anything wrong with players going out having a drink together and um, probably don't plaster it over Instagram. It's not the best idea. So after after the video, probably Twitter kicks off, everyone sort of wakes up the next day only to find out that people have put all over Twitter that Ronan Curtis has been arrested last night. Just the icing on the cake, it looked like. You know, how to shit on us further. I think some fans thought of it a little bit. My opinion, a little bit on the subject, was a little bit less harsh reaction. And I'll be honest, I've made some bonehead decisions going out on a night out. Probably a lot worse than what what's happened here with Ronan Curtis. Everyone's done it. Everyone's human. Doesn't make it right doesn't justify it so we heard about the Astoria nightclub let me just read the bloody statement the Astoria came out and their version of events said we have standards at the Astoria it's laughable this sort of behavior from Ports of Football Club is never welcome we're glad we didn't allow them inside the venue but sad they felt the need to hospitalize a lone student nearby our venue we have worked with Hampshire police to ensure these lads have been placed on ScanNet this means they will not be allowed in our premises or welcome at other venues around the city. And they will have information on their behavior outside ours. We hope other venues with equal standards, so incredibly low, and refuse their entry. It's a shame that people like this, who so many locals look up to, have treated our city in such a way. I mean, firstly, they, you know, there goes the Astoria sponsorship that we were hoping for. <laughs> That's <laughs> window. Um, I think, I just general opinions on this, I've pretty much echo your sentiments i think like there is like go for drinks after the end of the season after the last game yeah obviously 100 percent. there's literally no issue with that that is a non-issue they should be going out and having a night out or having drinks at least no matter what the result but in the first instance putting it on social media i mean i've i've been on a night out with with some of my friends who lost quite a big derby in football and it wouldn't have looked good if it was on social media afterwards and fans would have had a problem with it. So when we went out, they said, none of this can go on social media tonight. It can't, like, there can be no Instagram stories, no, like, posts that are dated to this date because it'll look bad and the club will be annoyed. To, if if they can manage that, playing in a similar-ish level to League One, I mean, they might argue with that, playing a similar-ish level, then what? why can't our players have a modicum of common sense? Because that that even just posting the drinks on social media is for me, it's one of two, there are two options here. There's one of two things. Option number one, it's a, a lack of judgment and just a complete inability to read the room. And if that is the case, I mean, to put not too fine a foot, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, it's idiocy. That's option number one. Option number two, they knew what the reaction was going to be, or I say they, the re- they or he knew what the reaction was going to be, knew it was, uh, you know, it did read the room, in which case it's complete lack of class, it's a lack of respect, and it's just a sign of being a different type of idiot as far as I'm concerned. And I don't like being unpleasant or calling people out on the pod. It's not why I do this, because I like having a laugh with you. But it's either way, it's idiocy. And 
people say, oh, you know, players, you know, they don't owe anything to you, blah, blah, blah. And, and it does annoy me when fans say, oh, yeah, we made that player what they were. I saw people say it about Jamal Lowe recently. It's a load of rubbish. Players make what they are by performing or not. But there is a sort of a duty of like at least a, like a modicum of respect. Like it's embarrassing, honestly, to have that. And then this, whatever happened with this news story, I don't want to comment too much on that because we don't know like all the facts yet. And it would just look a bit stupid if we say something and then information comes out that directly contradicts it. But I know it's our choice to do this, but we spend 400 and something pounds on season tickets every year. Hugh, you and I travel down from decent lengths away to get there mine's like my train ticket is like 45 quid return for every home game lots of people are doing the same things and you know fred travels to away games from up north and pays a shed ton of money to watch on i follow you know the vast majority of the time i don't expect like blind loyalty but i expect the players to have a dose of respect and you know they don't always get that from fans and that is a really crappy part of the job we've seen Curtis mouthing off at people in the stand, probably quite rightly at times. We saw Cal Naismith do the same on that side of the pitch. There's no smoke without fire. I'm sure there are like some really horrible things said to them, and there are at football. It's toxic at times. However, not, firstly, not every football fan is like that, and secondly, just like as a player, you've got some responsibilities. Hugh, you said there that you know you make bad decisions on nights out, etc. I know full well that you do, and you know full well that I do, hey. but. Um, it's it, we're in different positions of responsibility in different jobs. You have different positions of responsibility in my job. One of those positions of responsibility is I'm just not a dick on social media. I'm careful what I post on my Twitter because it's my professional and my personal account. I don't, you know, post anything horrible on there that would get me in trouble at work. And it's exactly the same thing. Don't do something that your job requires you not to do. Like why, why just, why be an idiot? It makes no sense. So it's either a lack of judgment or it's a complete lack of class and either a sign that, you know, well, potentially a sign that he just doesn't give a shit at this point. And it's one of them and neither of them is good. And I have a, like more issue with that than what happened on the pitch to a certain extent. And then obviously, yeah, the stuff that happened, the Astoria, we don't know the full facts, but all you've got to do at this point in that position as footballers, you've got one job that night, no issue with you going out, just keep your head down. Not every big night out, not every work do has got to be a complete booze up that turns into a little, you know, a little scrap outside a pretty seedy little club or a seedy little bar. I mean, if the sponsorship's gone, we might as well be honest. Like, just keep your head down for four hours or eight hours no on a night out. this podcast, Andy. Let's be real. Sorry, mate. No one's sponsoring this podcast, mate. Yeah, right. Let's be real. Hey, hey, shout out to FanHub. They're kind of involved, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love FanHub. Everyone Thank God for FanHub. Fan yeah, absolutely. <laughs> On the FanHub hype train. But yeah, I'm going to stop talking now because I've, I've kind of made my point a little bit. Sh- on it. Shall, I, shall I say what we've heard, basically, on a, on a basis of, you know, from fairly, you know, fairly decent sources. So, you know, obviously can't confirm 100%, but what we're hearing is and i'll share with you what we know what we know beautiful listeners of the po forecast Ronan curtis and uh marcus harness were a few entries of the historia moaned active below potential standards you might expect from someone representing the football club walked away uh, and then were chased by a student who started to abuse Ronan curtis now people's passions were high as we know that said person took a top off and screamed at Ronan curtis and offered him out Ronan Curtis pushed the person who fell back, hitting his head. Friends of the student attempted to intervene. Police were passing by and Ronan Curtis was put into a police car and driven around the corner 
to de-escalate any further incidents. He gave his details and was told he'd be contacted. Now, we all know what happened afterwards. The club's already come out, so they're dealing with it internally. The person in ch- um, who was involved in the incident is not pressing charges. Um, yeah, so it's going to be dealt with as an internal issue. Now, whether or not that's completely spot on, but it is to the best of our of our knowledge, it's... it's, it's the manner of the behaviour isn't great, is it? But at the same time, I do want to point out that it seems pretty unlucky that he fell over and hit his head. It's like the kind of thing you always warn your mates about, try and walk away with a situation because you've only got to push someone once or throw a punch and you get unlucky and it ends up with someone seriously hurt themselves. Yeah, absolutely. That That is certainly true. But why put yourself in a situation where that could happen on a night where, as we've already said, well, as I've already said, you should be keeping your head down? If you if you need to avoid trouble, you avoid trouble. If you know, oh uh, yeah, I've I've made my point. Fred, jump in. You've been silent for the longest yeah, time. Yeah, you've yeah, ever yeah been I, I, I didn't feel the need to jump in. Really, it, it, like you said, it's all about perception, isn't it? The timing of the Snapchat video was for me horrendous at best, and it it, it, it gave the perception that the players didn't care about bottling that game as much as the fans did. And as with the incident, it shouldn't have happened in the first place and it all got a bit silly by the sounds of it. The managers, the club's dealing with it internally, fine. Whatever the punishment may be, that I'm sure that I'm sure they'll figure it out. But again, I'll come back to this point. If we think that the culture of the dressing room is bad, why would you want the players involved in that type of thing around? I'm not saying that should be a punishment, not at all, but it gives the manager another thing to think about when it comes to which of the personnel is staying at the football club or not. Forrest Watson messaged in. He says, where did it go wrong? Not sacking jacket after the Oxford games went wrong. Forrest, me and you are on the level, mate. I completely agree that that should have happened. Um... Rob Jill messages in, as soon as the turd sandwich turned winter player formed in his brain, jacket was finished. I mean, it was definitely a bizarre decision with absolutely no logic to it at all. Yeah, yeah, that that quote's going to be legendary, isn't it? And it's never going to leave him. Yeah, I wonder if it will follow him if he goes to a different team. Peter Thurgood messages in, what a difficult question to answer. There are multiple factors. If we're talking about the season, it would have to be the players overall. Jacket ran out of answers, but I feel his recruitment was good. You don't sit top at Christmas over multiple seasons being a bad team. I just feel we are found out too easily defensively and missed chances in front of goal. When the Cowleys took over, there was an instant change. Maybe new, fresh ideas at a higher tempo, but the wrist injuries. So maybe the quality of the depth in the squad, naming an academy player who's told he isn't ready, was a huge question mark. But what other options do we have? Confidence, pressure, consistency, the list is endless. The news of the Crowley signing on a long-term deal is really refreshing. I'd expect a big clear-out and wish for some investments put into the squad from the owners. It's a big ask. But if we're going to be be successful again, signing a long-term manager, he needs the full backing within reason. I'm excited for the football of the club. The last bit for me is the most important part where the Cowleys do need the right backing. And by the noise that we've seen from the club reporting in the news as well, Mark Catlin, I think, did an interview where funds will be available for Danny Cowley to make some changes. And it was reported eight new signings. It, it, it depends 
what you think about Mark Catlin's words at this point, depending on how seriously you take that comment. But it, but it has to be done. There has to be the right level of finance to rebuild this team if the goal of the football club is to achieve promotion. Even, even though Danny Cowley, I've, I've researched this, he's very good at finding hidden gems in the transfer market and improving every player from where they are. But there has to, there has to be significant investment, I think. If you are to change the culture, if you're going to fully back the new manager with a new direction completely, this era's gone completely. It's it's failed. We need to draw a line under it. And you do need new investment for that, whether, whether the board like it or not. Yeah, and I guess they're going to try and sell some players to raise some funds as well, aren't they? But there needs to be a substantial direct investment, I think, to make a real difference, not just relying on player sales for once. So be interesting to see if that happens in the off-season. Peter Loveman messages in. He says, lack of goal scorers. Don't worry, Peter, mate. We're going to sign two new ones. Marquis can be number three. Let's rotate these players out. Steve Coe messages in. He said, if I was the Cowleys, I'd try and keep hold of Big Mac. What more? Naylor and Cannon. Then let go of the rest and bring in their own players. We haven't mentioned Cannings. He's not been playing that much. He's you know been coming on as an impact player. He is here for next season, I believe. Is that right? Got an option, which which we haven't. But I haven't heard if the club have taken or not. I assume the club will take it because they can always sell him on and they got him for a small amount of money. That'd be silly not to. So Cannon's going to probably going to be here next season. I think it'd be. If he is kept on, I think it would be good as a squad rotation player anyway. Even if you do go out and sign a couple of flagship midfielders, we need that depth in squad, in the squad. Um, Big Mac, let's hope he signs. What more? Oh, he really one. didn't perform well in that game, did he? I'm not going to cry if Jack Watmore leaves. I'm going to put that out there. Um, I think he's a good defender, good passer. Obviously, he's local, etc. But at the same time, we need to go out and sign two new centre-backs, I believe, that can start and actually play for the majority of the season. I don't think you can count on Jack to be one of those two players due to his injury issues. So I feel like Jack's always going to be a luxury player to have in the squad. I said this at the start of this season as well. I said, look what centre-backs are bringing in. And then you've got Jack Watmore as well. You've got this player who can be great when he's playing well and you can plug him in when he's there. But he's not the player, I think, that necessarily we need to have to rely on as the the number one centre-back who's going to anchor this defence. We've seen it this season. It's not worked. It hasn't worked. If we can get Jack to sign on a sensible number and keep him in the squad, great. But if he wants more money than that, and I suspect there might be a championship team that come along and offer him more money to sit on the bench over there, then um, good luck to him and we'll have to find someone to replace him. Ian Sands messages in, I'm not totally convinced that Naylor is the best midfield anchor for the system. He is just about the worst pass from the team. <laughs> when I was watching this, Freddie, with <laughs> the game right, with Matt... Sorry, Andy, I was meant to set you up with this. When I was watching the game with Matt, right... <laughs> I literally was like, Tom Naylor, please just pass the ball short to Ben Close. Just please, just just play the easy ball. Because I think when Tom Naylor tries to force things and gets a bit sort of frustrated or whatever, he sort of starts playing longer passes and starts trying more difficult balls through. That isn't his strength. I want him to win the ball back and play it to someone else who can pass the ball. Yeah, it's a, it's a lack of patience. And we've said multiple times that that is Tom Naylor's Achilles heel. And that is... The Achilles heel of the Close and Naylor partnership, where if you pressure Ben Close, who is your one um, passing option in the centre of midfield, and Tom Naylor doesn't play 
like a like the defensive stalwart he he sometimes can, then the midfield falls to pieces. And we've seen Portsmouth lose the battle in the midfield multiple times over the over the course of the last four years. And it's a problem. I genuinely think Tom Naylor's passing ability, it really, really doesn't fit the Cowley system. It really doesn't. I think the only other option really would be to have a, a three-man centre midfield where Naylor's the anchor man and where, where you rely on his strengths and you mitigate his weaknesses with the other players. That's what successful teams do. But if it's the 4-2-3-1 with a cam... I don't see neither fitting in. I really don't. Couple that with the Snapchat video and the fact that he's captain the size that's that's failed for three years. Yeah, but Fred, that 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 video is in a, a a beer garden with the entire squad, like who are there. Like obviously not at that table, but it just happened to be at the table where a video was taken. I I don't think that's entirely relevant for me, if I'm honest. Your other points, yep, that one I disagree with. It, yeah, might, about, it, it might just be my personal dislike of that video, to be honest with you, getting a bit ahead of me. Yeah, everyone's emotional, Fred. Andrew Perry puts in a spicy hot take here. I've put the hot take sound alarm on. <laughs> Signing Daniels in January instead of the blatantly obvious. Another striker. How we pay for that as the season draws it to a close. Charlie Daniels signing in January lost our promotion bid into the playoffs. Andy Mitchell-Moore, is that true? I mean, obviously, it's it's cost us points <clears throat> due to multiple the penalties. points given. across multiple games. I'm going to say. Um, I think you, there's definitely an argument that he cost us points over multiple games towards the end of the season because of the penalties given away. And for me, just do, yeah, doesn't look pacey enough in that left back position. I think Lee Brown's performances have actually shown him up a bit, uh, especially in the, in the final part of the season when Brown came back from injury. And yeah, he's he's really good with the dead ball, like good delivery, corner like spot on, good free kick taker. But that isn't enough to get you in the team in isolation. And I don't know, if, like you you could pick up dozens of individual things and say, you know, here's one of the reasons we didn't go up. It's all of the one percenters. And yeah, I do think that is one of the one percenters. But you know, if that hadn't happened, you know, butterfly effect. Who else would we have brought in to play there when Brown got injured? Like, I don't know. You've got a couple of players who can sort of makeshift left back, but it's not really who you want. Um, you know, playing out of position. It's one of a yeah, one of so many one percenters. The what ifs, isn't it? I mean, when you don't, when you miss out on the playoffs by a couple of points, it's all about the what ifs, and there are yeah, so many of them in this case, and that is definitely one of them. Stephen Brooks messages in, and he says, "Send me this merely after the game." Absolutely gutless performance, considering this is more or less the same team that failed to show up when it was counted the last three seasons. Does that show a lack of leadership as well as a lack of quality? We spoke about that, Stephen, so I see what you think about that. It seems like the players that have been here throughout don't have the stones for it when it counts. A promotion-winning team needs a strong spine. Completely agree. That's why we're going for two new centre-backs, a couple of centre-new midfielders. Let's change it up. Let's bring some new blood in. Let's do it. Speaking of spine of the team, we haven't really talked about striker, have we? Do we need to bring in competition for John Marquis? Because yes. I'm, I, I'm assuming that he won't be sold, even though he's underperformed this season. 
well, if you, it's no point selling him now in some ways, unless someone comes along and decides to spend a pretty penny on him because his, his transfer value is going to be way down at the moment. Unless you think that it's going to only plummet further on the, on the downward trend, you know, on the curve. And you think that John Marquez is only going to trend downwards, then it's going to be a, do you think he's only going to trend downwards, Andy Mitchell? Or do you think you hold on to him and hope he bounces back in some sort of capacity next season? Well, I mean, if we, I've backed him the entire time, right? I think it's that lack of confidence. Even in the Accrington game, there were, there were there's at least one occasion where you just didn't gamble in the way you want your striker to to gamble for for a ball in near the goal. Like just sort of hung around on the edge of the six yard box it's rather Ronan than Curtis gambling. Put that ball in from the left hand side. It was one of the first quality balls in the box. He just whips it across on his right mm-hmm. foot, and you there's just no one there. throw your sofa at Marquez. Just and you literally you just oh. Yeah, just throw yourself at it, and that wasn't there. And I, he obviously needs competition. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. I mean, I really don't. But you've got to have some competition there. I think. I don't know. Do you think Ellis Harrison will stick around? Do you guys? No. Well, he shouldn't, in my opinion. I don't think nah. any, any. I don't think any striker who's got more yellow cards and goals really deserves to be at the club. To be fair. Ooh. Okay. Um I mean, they both got he'd be, he'd be off they, to Ipswich now, wouldn't he? Cook's gonna they both, sign they him. both got um they've both got another year on their contracts, haven't they? They're twenty twenty two summer, both of their Marcus and Harrison's contracts expire, but I'd I'd be surprised if Harrison sticks around for sure. I think Marcus will stay. One more year left on the contract. Does Cowley sign him to an extension in the summer? Dun, dun, dun. No, <laughs> no. I think we do need to sign some strikers. I've seen that Peterborough released their re- their retained list actually into the season. What I thought was quite interesting about this is Peterborough actually included players that were available for transfer. So not only was it these players have retained, signed other players under contract, it was these players are now available if you want to come buy them. One such player was Mo Issa, former Pompey target Mo Issa. Looked at his stats, Freddie. He's pretty underwhelming how he's performed, isn't it? Since he's made the move to the championship, then back down to Peterborough last season, in particular, this season, even I'm just calling it last. It's gone now, it's last season. He was pretty pathetic, wasn't he? Up front for Peterborough, uh, well, he wasn't the main man, put it that way, because Johnson Clark Harris had that. He was what he's one of those strikers who, when I first saw him at Cheltenham, I thought, oh god, if he takes that move to the championship, he's lost a year of development because he's not ready yet. And that was true. He, he he didn't develop then. His first season at Peterborough was okay. This season he did, he didn't play that much. And when I saw him, he wasn't. In my opinion, I don't think he'll be worth the money that Peterborough will be asking. I think you could get the same amount of goals and a similar sort of player elsewhere. In my opinion, it's the flashy signing that will make Portsmouth look like they've done something, but really. If you dig a little bit deeper, I think there'll be other options. Yeah, I mean, he's played... He's made six starts, 21 appearances uh, from the bench, two goals, two assists this season. I mean, obviously, it's quite hard to have the impact when you are playing behind Clark Harris. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's one that he's got the potential, hasn't he, to be a good goal scorer. I was listening to the third tier... Um, League One show, go check it out. 
um, on Twitter at the third tier. And they had the guys from the yellow block on after Peterborough won that the jammiest promotion ever I saw on the last day without shocking penalty dive. Oh, that was the worst dive I've literally ever seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> literally. Yeah. Not even, yeah. not yeah. even close. And sorry, let's, let's, not, let's not get into that, but let's just focus down on, on the Peterborough thing here. They were talking about Moise and whether they think he will stick and be a championship player for them next season. They were saying, this is before the retain list came out, that Moise is a player who can score goals, but not very much more for you. I think that Pompey fans would find Moise incredibly frustrating if that's the case, especially playing him up top in potentially a one-up front situation. When Pompey fans sort of want someone, I know who can score goals, but also maybe there's a little bit more over the pitch. Uh, do you want? Uh, do you also want a striker who's also underperformed his XG? Um, I don't, but... You can read into that what you will. Yeah, XG hate. Put it out there. <laughs> we'll, we'll do up. We'll, we're going to go into who we actually think Pompey will sign. We've done our done our research. We'll do some proper scouting, video look, chat to scouts, etc., um, and some agents, and see who we can drum up for the upcoming episodes, which will be the transfer specials. We'll go through defenders, midfielders, and attackers at some point, um, and bring you who we guys think we should sign. Yeah, so look out for those upcoming episodes. Uh, we'll be bringing them out. We're not going to be doing one every week coming up into the summer we probably will do one next week because we're going to do get into the transfer targets etc and go from there but obviously there's not as much content to take off and also we need a break at some point as well so we will be doing sporadic episodes across the summer any sort of reaction news transfers uh, we'll have some interviews as well which i've been trying to line up over the last couple of months as well um, we'll bring them to you across the summer to make sure you're still connected to the club yes it'll watch out look out for those episodes across the summer Right, boys, I think we've done pretty well. We've gone for everyone's questions today. Thanks, everyone, for messaging in. It's much appreciated. Andy, thanks for on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Thank you for being our sacred cow, Hugh. Always nice to be here, bud. Thanks, Andy, mate. It's been a pleasure with everyone on the show to this year, to be honest. And uh, yeah, we've done a good one. Freddie, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, a pleasure, as always. And thank you to the listeners for making all of this possible we, w- we wouldn't be doing this without an audience so you're an integral part to what we do and uh, and andy and hugh you're my sacred cows i wouldn't want any other co-hosts around i mean is it that, uh, that well thanks fred but i mean we sit here slugging gin and tonics and getting annoyed <laughs> once a week <laughs> i don't know if it's that much of a real you know a real drag no but it's true we thank you to everyone who's listened commented messaged in and everything the interaction is really what what makes the podcast it's not just us three rambling at each other the whole time it, that really does help so thanks again for everyone listening yeah if you like the show give us a five star review on apple do us a favor click five stars hit the subscribe button follow us on spotify do all those lovely things it helps other people find the show um, and if you've listened this far into this show then hopefully you like it enough to do that for us so thanks again and until next time Play Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle! <laughs>